I told you we were going nuts this season. I am so privileged to bring you a special pod with Suterat Larlarb. You probably heard of her because she's responsible for the iconic looks in the recent Bond film, No Time to Die. But she also did the costumes for Danny Boyle's Steve Jobs film and just wrapped the Obi-Wan Kenobi show coming soon. But this convo was all about Bond, and she was as gracious and as humble as you could imagine. We talk how the production was set up for the recent Bond film, how they picked those Drake's boots, and the return of Alexander Olch. FYI, it's a shorter pod as we were on a press tour, but hey, looks like she's going to come back on soon. So here we go. Hey, how are you? Hi, good, thank you. Nice to meet you. You too. Uh, How are you feeling? <laughs> uh, <laughs> a little strange. <laughs> no, it's yeah. um no, I just I was uh I was uh I'm at my mom's house right now and I was at a wedding this weekend and the Bond film opened here in the US while going on. <laughs> yeah. First off, massive massive congratulations on the film. Uh it's oh, thank incredible. You. Um I I am doing a spoiler-free uh you know, pod here. So if, if you don't mind when I sound a little bit cryptic talking about certain scenes. No, no, I get it. I do the same thing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Cause I already, you know, accidentally ruined a few things for friends of mine. Well, I was like, yeah. And this, oh, and they're like, wait, does that mean this? And I'm like, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You have to have a better poker face than that. <laughs> yeah. I'm horrible at this stuff. Um, but I mean, I'm sure this has been just a marathon working on this film, especially with all the delays because i just to, to double check production started on this in like 2018 19 yeah yeah 2018 2018 yeah um is that right <laughs> yeah 2018 yeah, yeah. I, I know it's hard like two years kind of messes everybody up doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. um but uh yeah and it, yeah so i started obviously i started when um it was first going with danny mm-hmm. boyle um Come, came on to the project as a frequent collaborator of his um and um and then he left and so i didn't know what was gonna happen at that point um and um luckily um they decided to keep me on uh, barbara had reached out in the period in which they were looking for the new director i'm sure there was already an idea and they were just sorting out the mm-hmm. formalities but you know, from our perspective as the crew that we're all kind of wondering what was going to happen. Um, you know, it was a really nice thing to hear that she, she said, you know, we, Daniel and I would love for you to stay on if our new director doesn't bring somebody with them. And I'm sure you'll understand. And I totally understand that because, you know, I had, I had worked with Danny on so many films and I, I know that directors like to have their people with them. And so I was going to presume that I would get to, you know, I was I was sort of uh, very zen about maybe not getting to fulfill my dream. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say you had yeah. just come off from the Steve Jobs film, which is already like insanely iconic. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're going from icon to icon. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I it, it's funny. I um, I've always thought I was going to do a, a I, you know, things happen in threes. I've done two. Bi- biopics in which the protagonist is known for wearing a black turtleneck sweater, <laughs> you oh. know, Steve Jobs, <laughs> and then the the walk, the Robert Zemeckis film, which is about um, the 
gentleman who walks between the World Trade Towers yeah. um, in a black turtleneck, of course. And so, you know, I was like, oh, but we've done a black, they've done a black turtleneck on on Daniel already. I can't, that's, this is not the third part of that trilogy. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, and we'll kind of jump into the Bond stuff because from other interviews and things I'd read, it, it was important for you to evolve this character. And I think historically the clothing of Bond and specifically Bond films um, are iconic and and sometimes even formulaic. So h- how important was it to not do, I'm going to air quote this, like the traditional sure. sort of Bond? Well, I guess it was, it was um, not really a conscious decision to not do a traditional Bond, but more of a ritual or rituals to not quite the right word. It's sort of more ingrained in me to start from the character Mm. and meaning not just the icon of Bond, but the character in the particular story they're in. So obviously in our story, Bond is in a particular place in his life. And so his costumes sort of need to reflect that, knowing that he's going to come out of that period and be the iconic Bond at some point in right, the right. film, which everybody expects, but also, you know, does something in the story of the minute you first see him ta- in his bespoke, tailored, beautiful suit by Tom Ford, walking the streets of London, heading into MI6. It's like that, okay, Bond is back. That's the moment, yes. right? So everything yeah. that comes before that has to be not that. And in a way, the not that needs to be then broken down into where are we in his psychological story, when we first meet him, you know, we need, it's, it's, it says something more if you see that he's kind of turned his back on his previous life right. in terms of clothing and a ratty old t-shirt and swim trunks, no shoes on, Right. you know, it says something more than if you just heard him say, I've turned my back on my career, <laughs> but he's in a really lovely you know, linen suit or something. It doesn't sure, say the sure. same thing, right? So so I'm looking for those moments um, to try and say that the clothing choices for this character, which are still instinctual to this character, right. are extensions of the behavior that is trying to be expressed in there. And, and also give um, not too much and not too little so that Daniel, who's a consummate actor, can do what he needs to do in those clothes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had read and you had said that you watched all the Bond films to kind of prepare for this stuff. Yeah. I mean, I had already watched them as a fan, like growing up and when, you know, not knowing I was ever going to do this just out of pure, you know, movie fandom and love for Bond aesthetics. Um, And I, when I got this, of course, I, I, there was no way I couldn't at least watch them again for uh, <laughs> right. just to take them in and be able to have conversations. I mean, you're, there's such a continuity of um, there's some people on the crew who have, you know, been involved with bond, you know, since the beginning, well, maybe not oh, since the beginning, Pinewood, but like, right? but Pinewood, you right, have yeah, Broccoli, yeah. who's the daughter you know, and Michael G. Wilson, you have Chris Corbo, the special effects supervisor who's done you know, more than it's 10 or 15 bond films. You know, there's Jeez, a, please there's a thread of legacy that's like coursing through the veins of the production already. And so I think it would have been really remiss to kind of like come barreling and right, let's change this. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Just, well, yeah. So. Especially because like bond people are like 
Star Wars people, which funny yeah. enough, you chose to jump into after that. But like, <laughs> in the sense that like, there are things to them that are almost like biblical and that they can't be changed or they can't be altered. And so, you know, w- with that in mind, because you have a background in production design, like h- how much of your knowledge of thinking about everything versus the costume, again, I'm kind of air quoting, was affecting this uh, design process. Yeah, it's it's always that for me. I mean, I'm always thinking about what this character is doing in this particular part of the story, in what environment they're in. It's it's like it's it's the oxygen for me. You know, mm. I can't um, I can't really not think about that, which is sometimes not what you want to do. Sometimes it is purely just about aesthetics and style. But in the case of, I would say this particular bond, meaning not just no time to die, but meaning Daniel. Yes. Um, I think a lot of people rightfully look at Daniel as the most um, vulnerable to the audience. You know, we're, we get a view into his psyche more than we did with the other people who've played Bond. You know, we, we go on an emotional journey from the minute he's kind of given his heart to Vesper and Casino Royale, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Walking so, away. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so we've seen how Bond, even the things that drive Bond on a kind of international global crisis kind of scale, yeah. how so interrelated they are to what's going on in his heart and mind. And so I wanted the clothes to kind of feel a little bit more grounded in that way, you know, where it's not just a shell that he puts on and then has to surpass or live up to, but like it really just feels like an extension of him personally, you know, Daniel's bond. Um, and I feel like the particular journey of this story you know, there are certain apex moments in the story where we're revealed to the like, oh yeah, that's the bond we know and love. Yeah. So all the moments surrounding those apex moments have to be something else. And so then I would then look at, okay, what's happening in the story? What's the environment? How did he get that thing? How did he get that jacket? You know, like, so, yeah. And, and PS for listeners, this is happening with every character. This is, I mean, we're talking about Daniel right now, but you're, you're doing this across Remy's character across Absolutely. all, the, yeah. I mean, which is yeah. just gargantuan. Um, <laughs> that's exactly the right <laughs> adjective. <laughs> but like the team that you have, how many for for listeners understanding, like how many people are on this team of of like wardrobe design, like on a film like this? Yeah. Um, well, I have um, a lot of people on the team, and the 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 two sort of key positions that come into play first. My right hand um, on this, in terms of design, was Michael Mooney, who's um, a brilliant associate costume designer who had every film I've ever done in the UK, he's worked with me on. And he was exactly the right mind for this. And he has an incredible technical mind, but also great with uniforms and just a real sounding board for me. And he's incredibly gifted at predicting my own choices. So if I needed to relinquish some control over something just because of the gargantuan nature of it, you know, he's always very, he's always respectful. And like, if he's, he goes off on a tangent, he'll let me know. He's like, okay, I went off on this tangent. I know you wanted this, but let me just show you this idea. And like a lot of times they were great. So yeah, let's go with them. Um, so Michael is a huge part of the equation for me. Um, on the other, so if he's my right hand, my left hand would be mm-hmm. um, in this case, Sarah Robinson, who's the costume supervisor, which is basically the person who, if you're looking at an art department structure, they're like the supervising art director. 
right? They're like the person who executes the vision in terms of logistics, money, have all the kind of um, strategic conversations with production about how we're going to like, you know, break down the operation in Jamaica while simultaneously setting up in Italy or, you know, that kind of thing. But also on a day-to-day level keeps me on schedule. Like, okay, I know you spent, you're going to have a meeting with Carrie at two. Um, I know you're working on the designs for that. The sketches are like, what can I get? How can I get the, the PAs involved in like making the mood boards for you? Like, what do you need? Like, like minuscule things. So those are the kind of two main heads of the snake. Right. Um, and then the rest of it is this, Sarah is really responsible for putting the rest of the team together, which I think for the most part on Bond Week, you know, it's been a couple of years, so I'm, it, it may sound exaggerated, but I don't think I'm wrong in saying it was something like we had a core of 35 people at all times. Wow. And then on a big crowd day when we would bring in people to come and dress the crowd, and kind of look after the crowd, you know, that number could shoot up into a hundred, which is not actually bigger than like a giant Marvel film or anything like that. I could be wrong. It might've been 50 people in the department at like at, at, for a long span of time, but I know I could probably list out from very, you know, <laughs> the people I would sort of check in with on a day-to-day basis, probably about 35 different people just in the costume department, let alone all the interdepartmental cross-pollination with props or the art department or production. So right. within our costume department, you know, you have, we had a two-story building at Pinewood. The design division was upstairs and there was a hallway that led to the fitting rooms. And on the other side of the hallway was kind of like um, HQ. So it was like <laughs> Caroline, our brilliant costume coordinator and her whole, and Georgina, her assistant coordinator, and then a whole cadre of interns and Alfie, the PA on that side. We had Olivia, the PA on my side, two assistant designers working with Michael, Ava, and Kristen lived on my side of the building with me so that we could just have constant design (laughs) discussions. Down the road in another building was the aging, um, the textile arts. So that's aging, breakdown, gunshots, blood, dyeing samples, like I don't like that blue. It's a little bit too green. Can we just dial up the yellow a little bit or something? Hundreds, you know, there's Sarah and Yvonne who were there constantly, plus then maybe four or five, six other people on heavy days. Um, Downstairs in my building, we had a workshop, which was two tailors, cutters, um, right-hand stitchers. Um, Then another little separate satellite office that was costume props, so like leather goods, armor, specialty masks, things like that. Um, And then the wardrobe team, a completely separate part, but related, led up by Pascal, who I brought over from the States um, to run the set, basically. So we had four full-time principal dressers and then other day players when the the days got quite big. And then a whole background division um, led by Ash. And she had a whole team of people working with her constantly, between five and 12 people at any given time to do the background fittings, get all that sorted and prepped. And then on the days of shooting, you know, there could be upwards of another 25, 30 people every day. So those are kind of like the main players. I I really apologize if I'm leaving anybody out, but it's been a few years. (laughs) No, it's fine. I mean, I'm I'm really grateful that you spoke about that too. I mean, because I think sometimes some people think that 
um, like a costume designer for a film might just be sitting on an iPad and finding cool clothes and then like adding it to cart and sending it to the Yeah, location. you know what? And in fact, you have just reminded me of who I like shamefully forgot on the other side of the HQ side of the hallway was sure. the buying department who was doing like basically the buy like is like, you know, Jane Gooday who had is the head buyer had a team of two to three other buyers with her and a coordinator in that department constantly you know, Jane and I would have weekly, semi-daily check-ins about upcoming characters. And I would give right. her my mood boards and my fabric ideas and character ideas and send her off with maybe some pictures of particular things I had seen. She comes back to me with suggestions and she and her team are dispatched in the streets of London or on the internet or on the phone with Italy or Japan or whatever designers we're interested in and getting bringing those clothes, you know, into a room the whole operation of unpacking and checking in clothes so that they can get returned if not used or, you know, being carefully, you know, when an actor walks into a fitting room, you want it to look like a boutique. You want it to oh, be sure, inviting. Yeah. And so they're setting up basically a whole department store worth of, you know, there are the shoes, there are the braces, there are the cufflinks, there are the, you know, everything is set up. And that's just for one look, maybe. Right. You know, and if somebody has 14 looks, you can imagine how many times that happens and how many options. I do a sort of pre-select before, you know, things come in. And some of the stuff is obviously being made. You know, I would say it's 50-50 on this job, mm -hmm. um, made from scratch and stuff that we modified from real life purchases or just, you know, flat out just things that were the, exactly the right answer that already existed. This episode is brought to you by Topper Jewelers. If you're going full bond or you're just looking for the perfect watch, check out Topper Jewelers. Located in the heart of Silicon Valley and proud to cater to the needs of the global watch fam. AKA, they have a killer website. Topper is an official Omega authorized retailer and has picked out a special curation of all the Omega watches that appear in No Time to Die, including the Daniel Craig designed Seamaster Diver 300. But they also carry a full range of watches for all occasions and budgets, for explorers, secret agents, and all manner of the style savvy. So if you're looking for yourself, your friend, the watch you want now, and the watch you want later, check out Topper Jewelers. And don't forget to check out their incredible selection of select pre-owned watches. You have options for every budget, and best of all, they're backed by Topper's pre-owned warranty. So visit Topper Jewelers, that's T-O-P-P-E-R, jewelers.com. Yeah, because so, yeah. I, I am curious, like, how much of this stuff is actually brought in by the actors, actually, at times, because I know in the past, um, Billy Reed, who's been on the show before, he, uh, Daniel had picked up the peacoat from his store that he wore in Skyfall, and yeah. he was talking about, like, you know, yeah, he came in and he got it, and next thing you know, he's like, it, we, we still can't keep up with production from it. Like, <laughs> how much are they involved yeah. in that, or... Is that the case? Yeah, it's um, yeah. I mean, it definitely it can happen. And in the case of um, this bond, um, you know, Daniel and I had a very a really amazing collaboration, and he was so trusting and open to my ideas that there was never any directive from mm. Daniel like I'm going to wear this. If there was any suggestion on, you know, I saw this thing or there's this brand that I like, have you considered this? You know, there was always, there was never a, 
a moment like what you just described where he right. necessarily brought that thing in and then it ended up in the film. But I would say it was a, uh, like an incredibly, it was just such a partnership and I don't know how else to describe it. I mean, we really worked on this character together. I really feel blessed that he uh, was so responsive to my seriousness about it and my ideas, um, which is not to say that I, I'm the one who drove it. I would never in a million years think I could come into a James Bond scenario with the actor who's played him for the last 20 plus years and say, Has it this really is what been you're 20 wearing. years? Yeah, I think over, if you add it up the Jeez, years, Louise. I think it's like, I, I haven't done the math, but I yeah, feel no, like that's around two decades, right? right? <laughs> So yeah. you can't, you can't, I mean, how could you, and I said the same thing to Ben Wishaw, to Ray Fines, to Naomi, who I had worked with before. Right, right. And, um, and Rory Kinnear, I'm coming into your world. So, you know, with some of the other characters with Rami <clears throat> for Safin or Lashana for Nomi, Paloma, Ana de Armas, you know, some of those new characters, like, yeah, that's a different kind of collaboration because we're building a character from the ground, you yeah. know, but certainly James Bond out of all those returners is somebody who's, you know, he is embodying this. It's not just a character, a one-off script. It's like, right, right. there is, it's like, he's almost a real personage out there. And I have to, <laughs> You know, I've I've been allowed, I've been given the golden key to come in and help him create that character. You know, so hopefully, um, uh, I I I feel like his interpretation of Bond also is much more emotional, I think, than past Bond. So, yeah, there was definitely a need to make sure that the clothes helped tell that story. Right. Um. So yeah. Well. Yeah. On that though, like there are brands that are in this Bond film into which the press that they've been getting because they're in the Bond film, say like Drake's, for example, is is never the, the Drake's, the desert boots that he wears um, yep. with the Massimo Alba suit. Like even Massimo Alba, right? Like that has radically affected their business. Yep. And I'm curious, like, is there <clears throat> ever uh, a mindset where it's like, hey, let's maybe try to work with a smaller brand because it's going to change their whole business forever? Or is... Um, you know what? I think for me, because I always come from it at the with at the script level and the character mm-hmm. level, it's less about brand. Like I never make a list of brands. What I do is I make a list of needs. Like, okay, I know with this kind of suit, we're probably going to want a more casual shoe. So I'll have the conversation with Jane Gooday, the buyer there, and my assistants, and be like, okay, so let's put our heads together and see what's out there. You know, like you can run the gamut from something that exists to a some brand that has something that's close to what we want, but not exactly. But maybe if we tell them we're working on a bond film, they'll work with us and create the thing we want. Or Wait, has there ever been a brand scratch. that says no? <laughs> well, you know, sometimes, you know, like it's a, it's definitely not. Um, no, I, I actually, I'm trying to think, no, it's I don't okay. think there was ever, <laughs> I don't think there ever was, but I, I, I know that I didn't always want to play that card because once Fair. you play that card, people do want so badly to be a part of the bond equation. And then I'm a sensitive person. I don't want to disappoint them and not put their, you know, if it doesn't work out on the day, Mm. you know, I mean, nothing is set in stone until you shoot it. You know, even when we plan Daniel and I, you know, I think one of the reasons we got on so well is because I was never precious about anything. I wasn't like we put so much effort in this. You have to wear this or (laughs) crying because you didn't put it on. 
I mean, I remember when we were I can't, in Jamaica and we, we made the last minute decision about some things and I, it was so much hotter and more humid than we imagined. And we had actually made wetsuits, like a specific kind of wetsuit for him. And we tailor made these wetsuits and we'd done different prototypes and it was like a whole process. And then I, in the back of my head, I was like, I don't know, it might be just too hot. And so I asked my crew to make sure that, you know, these other things that I had in my head were kind of brought with us just in case. And then the just in case happened, you know, like, and I said to, (laughs) I said to, I said to Daniel the minute we were, you know, that the, either the day before or after he'd done a rehearsal or something, I was like, you know, it's just, you get to the environment and the story and whatever your mood is in this moment. And maybe it's not the right thing to, I just feel like you just have to be flexible. Right. Um, Right. Right. So um, I'm not sure if that answers your question, but it, it basically, Oh no, no, we were talking about brands. Sorry. My brain was going off. Oh, it's all right. But so like, for instance, with those Drake's um, desert, like basically that was like Jane bringing to me a selection of desert boots because I knew I wanted a desert boot and that happened to be the one that kind of worked the best in the fitting not just for the look of it but probably for the comfort I mean actors are always they need to their footwear is so important right they're going to be carrying the burden of standing around all day if not being in a lot of action in the shoes so they want the the thing that's going to kind of make them not have to think about the uncomfortable shoe they're wearing, no matter what it looks like. So, um, you know, anyways, uh, there are some brands that I, you know, I like the Alexander Oak tie that I, there was a whole conversation about um, when we put that suit together for Italy and we, you know, we hadn't done the tie yet. And I, I said to Dan, you know, there's this little store in New York that I love. You you resurrected that company, by the way. (laughs) <laughs> just so you know well, I, I, mean, I hope huge. when i go in there I can, I can ask for a different size and stuff like that. um but uh yeah no and i i i remember i was sitting in his trailer and he's like oh i haven't heard that i just like pulled up and i said one of the things i said before that was we had a kind of conversation about the kind of spirit of that look and you know there was romance a little bit of wit and a little bit we knew because we wanted the apex of the reveal of bond in the in the bespoke tailored London look to be that in and of itself that this suit would have a have would have to have a sort of less um structured this look had to have a less structured but put together yes to it right and a kind of surety of character and I for whatever reason in that moment said a little bit like Annie Hall and he said that's exactly right like Annie Hall and I don't think anybody will be able to understand what I meant by that the (laughs) fact that he glommed onto it and I immediately thought of okay I'm sure Alexander Oak has something to me that reads that will make this outfit sort of feel a little Annie Hall-ish right and and I showed him the website and we looked at it he's like oh great and any of these would work and I sort of narrowed it down to what I thought would work best with that suit. And then Ava, one of the assistant designers in our department, I sort of gave her the contact and she kind of worked out, like we adjusted certain width. We, we knew we wanted a width that they didn't make and all that kind of stuff. So then she did the logistics with them and that's how it ended up in our hands. Yeah. That's incredible. Well, yeah, I know your, your team's uh, getting ready to put you to the next thing, but I just want to thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Uh, I could talk to you for hours and hours, but this, this has been <laughs> a, a huge, huge pleasure. So um, I will hopefully maybe talk to you again at something else. But thank you again. uh, And it was great to meet you. Yeah, lovely to meet you. Thank you. All right. Well, take care. Bye-bye. Bye.
I know, I know, we ran out of time. But that was all we got. She was going on like Jimmy Fallon next or something like that. I mean, it was nuts. Anyway, she's going to come back on, so hang in there, and uh, I'll see you all in the Slack.